There's a lot of things going on. This is a very zany kind of game. It's ahead of its time. It's really clever what they've done. It's tense, but it's very brain melty. It's kind of a mix of everything I love in trick taking. Hey everyone, welcome to Trick Talkers, your favorite podcast about trick takers, shedders, climbers, and other card games. I'm Johnny. I'm Ryan. And I'm Patrick. And tonight we have an extra special spooky Halloween spectacular for you. Cue the uh, spooky sound effects. There we go. Perfect. No need <laughs> for sound effects. We've yeah. got Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to start off by talking about Cauldron 15, and then we're going to do a top 10, and maybe we'll revisit them periodically and see how these change. I know Ryan really struggled with this one. He has a top one and then uh, everything else. Top three. My, my top three are solid in their place, but everything else is subject to change within the minute. Ryan thought that top 10 meant uh, most recent 10. Yeah, he did get the memo, unfortunately. I don't know. I, I've, some of these I haven't played in a while, but I just yeah. know that if there's something I play again, I'll remember how good it is <laughs> and it'll probably jump up in a number slot where something else is but that's why I, it's so hard to come up with these lists so i'm, I'm kind of excited to go over it though and, and have a little discussion here yeah it's totally fair though i mean i've i've often said my top you know games in general are always the ones i've played most recently yeah <laughs> so uh cauldron 15 this one is uh if you're in the pgc discord you've probably heard of it but haven't been able to find your own copy but it's very similar to another game that recently came out called american bookshop uh, we thought this would be a fun one. Uh, I don't believe any of us had played it before we decided to play it for this episode. I'll go over enough rules to give context to the discussion, and then we'll talk about the game. So Cauldron 15 is a must-follow. There's a trump suit. That trump suit is uh, randomized from a deck, just like uh, Voodoo Prince, if you ever played that. There's five cards, one of each color, and you're going to flip one each round, and that will be trump, so you're never going to have the same trump from round to round. We'll play one card per person into the trick until either everybody's played a card or the total value of the cards played into the trick equals or exceeds 15. And the winner of the trick will be either in order. The person who causes the total value of the trick to equal or exceed 15, the person who played the highest trump, or the person who played the highest card in the lead suit. And then the winner of the trick will take either the lowest, highest, or a card of their choice from the trick, depending on the total value of the trick. A round will end when it, one player runs out of cards, and the game will end after three rounds, with the winner being the person who gets closest to 15 without going over of those the cards that you take from winning a trick. Those You'll add those together, and closest to 15 without going over wins the game. That was fantastic. So take the best snippet, but we chose Colin 15 because it's wonderfully thematic for the Halloween theme. Um, obviously cauldrons and witches and everybody sort of thinks that's stereotypically Halloween. Um, so we thought this was a really good choice, but also because we found some richness in its gameplay as well. Um, and the cards are absolutely wonderful. They are, uh, dripping with, uh, with theme in terms of, uh, they've all got these, uh, sort of different cute little witches on them. So the art artwork's been done really, really well. Um, I guess we should mention up front that with Cauldron 15 is very, very difficult to find because it's currently out of print. But there are ways if you, you know, want to try it out for yourselves that you can engage with it and can give it a go 
um, yourselves. Um, so uh, I believe there's a, a PCIO room uh, <laughs> available to uh, to play the game. Actually, no, there's not. Uh, so we actually okay, no, there's not on the no. fly. Ryan uh, modified the Voodoo Prince room to work for Cauldron Fifteen. Right, the Voodoo. Pr- so you can play this with Voodoo, a copy of Voodoo Prince. Um, uh, and hopefully, uh, we've been in touch with the designer. Hopefully, this will be coming out again next year. Although, can't guarantee it because obviously, a lot of these uh, publishers are small, uh, small indies, and um, you know that's why we'd uh, always encourage supporting them when they are available to buy. I love the artwork, just like you mentioned. Uh, I am not familiar with this artist's other work. It's I'm probably going to butcher this. Nagian is the artist for this and uh, it's just it's adorable and I, I love thematically that your the cards that you're playing in a trick are the ingredients that you're putting into a potion in the cauldron and you you don't want the cauldron to overflow so a big part of the or really the hook of the game is that the trick either ends like as in a normal trick when everybody has played a card or if somebody causes the trick value to meet or exceed 15 and that in and of itself is really interesting. There's only one other game I know of that has this hook, but I love that it's also in this particular instance, there's an, a nice thematic tie to why you don't want to exceed 15 when you're playing cards. I just thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, really thematic with the, with the whole filling the cauldron uh, concept. Um, so that kind of makes teaching the game uh, a little bit easier. Um, I, I like Cauldron 15. I, I'm a, quite a big fan of it. It's a real shame that it, it's not readily available to purchase. <laughs> However, um, as I say, there are there are ways to to, to engage and play it. So I, I think I, you know we had a really good time with it, um, and I'll be very specific and say we had a really good time with it at four players. Um, we did try the game at three players, um, but it just felt uh like uh you know we didn't hit the magic 15 number the cauldron very often and the cauldron wasn't being you know overfilled very often so it kind of removed some of the the tension that should be in the game um the numbers uh makeup just didn't really stack up for me you know in the deck so when we had that fourth player in our playthroughs i felt that you know the magic excuse the pun uh you know witches and things uh, the magic was really, really there, and uh, you know, I kind of felt like that's that's what the designer was aiming for when they created Cauldron Fifteen. That's the kind of experience that, uh, that, that you know, the ideal experience they wanted to create. So, uh, yeah, the caveat is it for me, it's a four-player game. Um, not tried at five, but I uh, would perhaps uh, be keen to do that. But um, for me, uh, the initial thoughts are very positive. And this is coming from someone who's not yet played. Um, I know Ryan's got some thoughts on the the comparison with uh, another game. Uh, And that other game I haven't played, uh, which is uh, American Bookshop. I agree with you uh, that we had a much better time at four players. We even tried tried removing some lower cards from the deck to make it more likely that we'd go over 15. And that sort of worked, but then we realized, well, we realized before we tried it, but Ryan wanted to try it anyways, just to test my math yeah, skills. break it and try uh, but it. they actually yeah. thought of it, and all of the cards are required because cards are removed from the deck as you play in the, in the cards that you've won each trick. 
So you actually need all of the cards in order to be able to play a full three rounds, even with three players. So it definitely really only worked with four. We haven't tried five, so I don't know if five works. I see it listed as two to five, but this is, I think, a case where either one of two things needed to happen. They should have just called it a four-player game. I think a lot of publishers like to put ranges to make the game more appealing to game groups that aren't always a single size. or it should have been like Cauldron X or something, and maybe 15 needs to be scaled down for a smaller group, which is exactly what American Bookshop does with the same book. One thing that I like about this is that the winner of the trick has to take a particular card depending on the value of the trick. So I briefly mentioned this in the rules, but if the trick value is below 15, the winner of the trick has to take the lowest card available. If the trick value is exactly 15, the winner of the trick takes whichever card they want. And if the value exceeds 15, they have to take the highest card available. And there are some ways to get rid of your cards, but like I mentioned at the end of the game, if you've exceeded 15, you're out of the running for victory. You need to be the closest without going over 15. So maneuvering your way to winning specific tricks that hit a certain value so you can get the cards that you need is really interesting. So I don't want to just write this off at lower player counts. I'd rather maybe experiment with lower thresholds than 15 at lower counts and see how it goes. Because I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I kind of imagine this at two players, uh, whether how, how well that would work, if at all, uh, to, to be honest. Maybe but, if you uh, played two cards like each said. or something? Well, yeah, two players yeah. You actually do deal outs uh, different. It's eight cards per player, and then there's a right. deck that flips over one card and it acts as like the first card played mm. i didn't fully read over it but i just looked at it and thought no this isn't a two-player game <laughs> yeah no um, most yeah. strict uh, 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 a very a a very select yeah a select few work well at two but they're designed for two they're designed for two and and sometimes you feel like you've been not you know you can always be eliminated can't you in this and know that you're not going to have a way to recover albeit you know at the end of a round you can um depending on what sets you've collected get rid of some cards sometimes it's like well you know i'm definitely out of this but i can still meddle with the other players and it didn't feel that bad did it really um you know some people are worried about sort of the elimination aspect but uh in games in general but this one just didn't you know it just it was fun and it was you know each round was relatively short and succinct so you were never feeling too um you know um rotten if you uh you know exceeded that 15 yeah, but anyway the set collection gives you a way to get rid of those if you collect one of each set you can actually discard a card of your choice so you can discard a high card right after picking up a low card if you need to dip down below 15 again and actually this is one of the areas in which the rules maybe are clear in japanese but they're unclear in the english version anyways and we had to just decide on a way to play and i'm sure that different groups have come to different decisions but the way we played was that as soon as you collect a set of one of each color there's five colors you can immediately discard one or if you choose not to the next time you get a full set so you'd have at least 10 cards at that point two of each color you could discard two cards of your 10 be pretty difficult to get two full sets uh, you know, players are going to be trying to stop you if they see that you're going to be able to to manage to do that. So it forces you to make that decision when you hit your first set, whether you want to kind of push your luck or not. 
I messaged the designer um and the designer said um basically you do it at the end um this uh the discarding of cards so rather than make the choice there and then at the end of the round you um or the end of the uh, end of the round end of the game i need to check but they basically said you do it at the end so rather than sort of doing it on the fly it's the decision is made after after the point so you you would have a few more options and you're not necessarily locking yourself out Okay, so we played it. We actually played it wrong. We did, uh, yes. Um, it was still fun. Uh, <laughs> I can see the merits of the the official way of playing as well. But like you said, Japanese rule books can sometimes be quite tough. Uh, you know, when they're translated, so it's good to, you know, sometimes go back and have that conversation with the designers. Um, but generally, by that point, you've already played it dozens of times and probably put your own spin on it without even realizing. Uh, I know. Uh, I know Ryan's got a few thoughts on. Uh, cauldron 15 i can see him bursting to uh to air those yeah well for me with cauldron 15 like we all have been saying four player was definitely the better way to play i would be interested to try three player again with a lower value again sort of making it a cauldron x like johnny was saying uh because i've played american bookshop way more than this point that i've played cauldron 15 at all player counts and while American Bookshop is still good at four player, I don't want to go too far into American Bookshop since we're discussing Cauldron 15, but it's a good comparison of a game, is that at three player, you still have some issues. Even though the threshold for the number changes, the way you can win a trick in American Bookshop, I think, isn't as interesting as it is in Cauldron 15. Uh, so I'm more excited to play cauldron 15 a few more times to see if we can find that rhythm and even if it is lowering the number to say 12 or 13 or again just try it a bunch of different times to see what that that number looks like i think i can see myself coming back to cauldron 15 more than i would with american bookshop yeah i i think that so like you said, we don't want to talk too much about American Bookshop, but to give context, I feel like I need to say that the issue I had at three players with American Bookshop was that it's a race for majority of each suit. And it's very punishing if you try to gain majority in a suit and don't because you get a lot of negative points for, for attempting and failing to get majority. So in a three-player game, it can be beneficial to focus on one suit and let the other two players, if you see two players start to fight over a suit, your best course of action is just stay out of it. Just do your own thing, collect one suit. So as long as you can manage to somehow not end up being in that duel with another player, you're probably going to win. In my very, very limited, I think we played two games of it, uh, maybe one actually. I don't even remember. Um, in the game or games that we played of it, that seemed to be like that would probably continue to happen if we kept playing at three players. Cauldron Fifteen doesn't have any sort of majority uh collection aspect, and I think that makes me think that maybe this game won't have that issue if you can get the threshold right. So that's why for me. I would really like to experiment with Cauldron 15 at lower thresholds just to see if it maybe avoids the issue that American Bookshop has because I really love the idea of the hook of this game. Yeah, with 
the issue that you were having with American Bookshop at three is the same thing I've seen happen. And I've played it probably five or six times now. Uh, it, because you also remove a suit in American Bookshop, there's only three suits in a three player game. It's really easy for that battle, like you said, with two players to go for the same suit, even if it's on accident. Once you start short suiting, you can throw colors to people and then they realize, oh, well, now that I've got three and they have four, I have to go for it. And they, you know, it forces them into a battle. But I think with Cauldron 15, since you really only ever worry about the overall numbers that players have, and of course the array getting the the set of all the, the colors, sometimes you don't want to offsuit things to players if it's just going to help them. Uh, get a set and then maybe they have a seven they're just ready to get rid of so i think there's more interesting decisions that can be made at the three player count if the only change is lowering that threshold because in our game i think we hit 15 or over maybe twice in the entire game i don't game. think we ever did in our three player game uh, the because we game. actually ended up all getting rid of all of our cards I no 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 I get it's when we were starting to mess with it when we yeah, took yeah, out yeah. cards is what it was happening. It happened so, yeah, like once right. or twice when we changed the deck. But yeah, in yes. the normal standard rules version of three player game that we played, we did not hit or exceed fifteen a single time. Yeah, which and that's crazy is that even in the time when we modified the deck to remove the zeros and the ones, we still weren't hitting it. So it, again, I, I think that's a, a subtle change that could be made to make the game fantastic and again this is just at three players when we played it at four 15 was no problem and i think that with the the play style at three four or even five is really really interesting because i want to make a comparison here to schadenfreude one of my absolute favorite trick-taking games where the outcome of the game is that there could be uh, everyone is a loser. <laughs> everyone busts in that game. And while it seems like it might be more difficult to do in Cauldron 15, that's still a possibility because any player that goes over 15 points gets eliminated. And that could be everybody. And just knowing that, like Patrick was saying earlier, that there is elimination. If you already know you're out of the game, you can maybe mess with people. That's exactly what you do. You focus on trying to get, assuming you have you know, those high cards, you can slough off, make them win it. You do have to be careful, though, because it's harder to just toss out that high number and then not be the person to win the trick if that next person doesn't make it bust. So while it's not a perfect strategy, I do think it's interesting that there is some kind of play that you could make where there's a possibility of everybody busting. Yeah, or you could try to complete sets with low cards in order to try to maybe get back down under under 15. Uh, maybe it's uh, there would certainly be situations where that's just not possible and all you can do is mess with people. Uh if you're really aggressive early game in winning tricks with high cards, you could you could get out of the running. Although we played it incorrectly where you had to choose to discard when you first made the set so if you make your first set and you only have low cards that you can discard that that's very different in terms of trying to push your luck versus if you can do it all at the end and get rid of whatever cards you need to to get back down to 15 so i think we need to kind of revisit it with the correct rules because that changes entirely how you choose uh, it, it punishes early aggression a little bit less 
and gives you a little more flexibility at the end of the game to get back down to 15. I, I think one of you mentioned, going back to our, our three-player game where we didn't hit 15 a single time, I think one of you had made the comparison to a game I haven't played yet, but Tanuki, uh, to Chagam. So one of you said we hit 15 oh. fewer than uh, the Tanuki hides in the teapot or something. <laughs> yes, fewer than it hides in the kettle. So the kettle teapot, if you like, uh, depending where you're from. But <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that's that's a very accurate uh, description in terms of uh, you wanted it to happen more, but it just didn't. And I think we can point the fault of that due to the number denomination or you know the fact that you're trying to hit 15 and a couple of those things could change and the game might be very, very good at free player. But, you know, current current reality, it, it, it isn't um so uh the the state of affairs yeah so maybe we'll i think we've probably said more than enough on why it's not good at three so maybe maybe we'll visit three player cauldron x again uh when we've had a chance to try that uh that variation out and, and reduce the threshold but when it comes to to four players i think we're all i think in agreement that it's pretty good um, I can't say whether I like it more or less than American Bookshop having only played that once and only at three players. So, so I won't even venture a guess at to which game is better. Uh, but I, I definitely enjoyed Cauldron 15 quite a bit. I would go as far as saying I think I like Cauldron 15 better than American Bookshop. Uh, having, like I said, played American Bookshop at all player counts multiple times, but only playing Cauldron 15 once at three and once at four, I can already see myself wanting to play Cauldron 15 more and reaching for it. And with a lot of these games, like the idea, kind of like you said at the beginning, once you play a game, it becomes your favorite, then you revisit an old favorite, and you remember why you liked it. I can see myself thinking about Cauldron 15 more. After we played it, as soon as we were done, I was like, oh yeah, I'm ready to play that some more. I'm excited to get some more plays of this in. Whereas knowing we were going to be making some comparisons to American Bookshop, I actually played it with a couple of friends um, uh, last night. One, because they were trying to see if they were going to back it on the Kickstarter with uh, Twilight Star, Twinkle Starship and Planet Etook, or <laughs> however it's pronounced. Um, but I was almost to the point where I was like, let's just play Cauldron 15 instead. Like I almost wanted to introduce them to that one instead of American Bookshop. But I'm like, well, they actually came. They wanted to play American Bookshop, so we'll make sure we play that. But the whole time while we were playing, just you know, in my head, I kept thinking like, oh, I'd rather be playing Cauldron 15, stirring that yeah. cauldron. Yeah. Uh, um. I yeah. I concur. Uh, great game. I'm actually worried that I'm going to be disappointed now when I open my copy of American Bookshop and go out to play it and think, hmm, I kind of wish I was playing Cauldron 15 as well. I mean, for what it's worth, um, even at three, even recognizing that there was a problem, we still had fun playing the game. Yeah. Uh, American Bookshop is still a no, good game. Um, I, I guess I'll just leave with the, the fact that, again, it's really hard to find, so if you want to try it, um, you know, uh, then Voodoo Prince or perhaps a Stick'em Deck would be a good solution for now, and then uh, you know, hopefully next year we it resurfaces, and this time for you know next Halloween would yeah, be nice. You know, we've mentioned we've mentioned that you can proxy this with Voodoo Prince, but we haven't really told you the deck makeup. So for anybody wondering, there are a lot of options for proxying this. All you need are five suits of zero to seven, 
And then you need one extra card of each suit to use as a trump deck. So Voodoo Prince, the nice thing is it has unnumbered trump suit suit cards that are made for the exact purpose of what Cauldron 15 uses the trump deck for and has five suits of zero to seven. But there are several other decks that you could do this with. So if you have any decks that meet those requirements, you can try out Cauldron 15. And the English rules are on Board Game Geek, so you are able to read them there. The publisher did post them. And finally, uh, remember that um, discarding of cards in set collections is done at the very end, and that's been confirmed with the designer because that was an area of ambiguity in the English rules. Yep. You guys ready to move on to our top tens? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. We need that drum roll. Uh, maybe or... we'll have to add one later. We could do I'll like f- the dice tower number drum ten. Set in the <laughs> number nine. Yeah, I like it. Can can we can we hire you full time? <laughs> number eight. All right, Ryan, you're the guy, but you gotta you gotta put feeling into it for each one of them. Number ten. My number ten is a game we caught, talked about last episode. Uh, so I actually to to do my top ten. I went to uh, uh, Pub Meeple and I selected all of the trick takers, the climbers, and shutters that I've played into my list and went through the whole rigmarole of comparing, you know, doing the head to head comparison. If you've, never, if you've never done it, go to pubmeeple.com and check out this tool. It's actually pretty cool and it gives you a ranking. And I mostly left it as is. Uh, I, I actually ended up, this was out of 50 trick takers that I've played. Uh, and I left everything as it was except for the bottom five. So my number 10 is Spades. And the reason Spades makes my top 10 is it's it's got team uh, partnership aspect. It's a good old-fashioned trick taker with pretty standard rules. Uh, and I really like the bidding aspect of it. So those three things combined uh, make this just a, a huge hit for me. I also love that it's already made your top 10 and you only just started playing and discovering this a couple weeks ago, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, wait, are incredible. We, yeah. Didn't you say I mean, we're doing our most recent 10? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, you, oh, you said yeah, that. Very good. It, <laughs> I've prepared my list yeah, otherwise. But no, I mean, that, that's fantastic. It's, it's, it's great to see that game. And again, I'm not trying to say, because I'm, you know, a couple of my games on here are pretty recent plays. Um, and obviously most modern games are going to be on that list too. But again, just to see something uh, of a traditional game like that, that like we said in that previous episode about Spades, where there isn't really a modern twist, it's more of a traditional game. It's great to see that it's it's still able to make your list. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the beauty of it. It's It's very classic. It's got a classic feel. There's not a lot of frills to it. And it was just a good time. And I got to say, I got to give a shout out to, uh, to Dan. Uh, Dan joined us for this play. And oh my God, Dan's energy is, I'm a pretty reserved guy. And I probably looked like I wasn't like totally having like an awesome time or at least as great of a time as he, was in, as he and Taylor were having. Uh, but his energy is infectious. He's got like, he's got it cranked up to 11 all the time. Energy in space. It was awesome. Yeah, he's got an totally energy in space. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you know, I will say that who you play with definitely impacts the enjoyment of the game. Obviously, that's that's not news. Uh, and having having played it very recently and for the first time, uh, 
definitely that just general play experience could have kind of made its way into how I ended up feeling about this game when we finished. So that's great. Uh, my number 10 in again, my four through 10, very asterisk on them. They are going to probably change constantly, but I wanted to pick some ones that I think are a little bit more unique. Uh, as far as what the twist the game offers. So my number 10 is Voltreffer. And the fact that you can spend points to buy your cards, instead of just being randomly dealt your hand at the beginning of the round, you sort of get to choose your hand, makes it a very interesting trick taker that doesn't really happen. I don't think I've really seen it in any other uh, modern trick taker. Um, but then also the fact that you're trying to hit a specific point threshold uh, to actually win the game. Uh, just so many neat factors in this game that it it absolutely had to make the the top 10 list here. Is that like a claim where you play round one is you're playing to build your deck and then round two you're playing with that deck that you've built? Or hand yeah, rather? I guess that could be a, a slight comparison. The difference with claim is you're playing tricks to make your hand for the second round whereas in voltreffer you're just like the cards are on display and you're spending a certain number it's of market, points yeah it's a market that you're buying cards oh, okay. from. i i actually yeah. have that uh i haven't played it yet doesn't it it has like another name too right like the english translation is uh, uh five Bullseye. tribes oh yeah so the original game is Voltreffer, but the, the Japanese edition is uh, Five Tribes and Underground Labyrinth or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So that sounds more more spicy, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? You know, that's. Uh, yeah, it's actually yeah. pretty cool because the the mat that comes with the game, this really cool computer mouse mat that is horribly folded in the box. So good luck trying to lay it out flat. Uh, but it's a map of like the castle and the lower grounds you go, you're getting closer and closer to the grail. And then if you go too far, you get into the lava. So you're going through this underground labyrinth. It's, it's pretty cool use of the, the theme. Nice. Well, I'm excited yeah, cool. to play that one. So, but I, other than that, yeah, I can't really I say a lot about it yet. I've, I have not played it yet. <laughs> it's on the to-do list for me. Um, so my 10 is, uh, I've only played it, uh, a handful of times. Um, uh, uh inside job um now i played the prototype with the designer and i think i love what it does to the genre because as a almost cooperative trick-taking game but not quite you've got somebody who is trying to work against the players or deceive the other players now i've seen it done in shamans um whilst i've not played that the feedback is and having played inside job i feel it it's kind of um, graduated from the, the you know the, the predecessor as shamans if you like and improved the experience and for me uh, I, I just really like the, the the twist and and sort of not knowing who this person is and the tension and the dynamic that that can create for the players. I love that this game is on your list. Uh, it is also on my list. And oh, well, there we go. I know this game will get higher on my list the more I play it. Uh, I've only played it five or six times. Most of the time when I was playing it, it was still Tricky Little Death. Uh, and I was playing it with Tanner and, yeah, the prototype. Yeah, and was able to prototype it, print it out, and play it with a couple people local. But now that I have the actual version of Inside Job, while in German, 
So I still need to go through the process of getting that translated yeah. and or just wait for the English copy. Right. Uh, <laughs> English next year. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely can see this game getting played a lot. I love the semi-cooperative aspect of it. And as you sort of said, you know, the comparison with shamans, I just think Inside Job does it a little bit better. And I'm very excited to give this game more plays. Yeah, so I also enjoyed it. I, I, it, it's not able to be in my top ten at this time because we've only played. I only played two rounds. It was tricky little death. It was with you guys, and I, I got the inkling of a feeling that there are times where the player can get the the player whose death can get trapped in a position where it's not really possible for them to win early. It's a very quick game. It's not really a problem, but the similar similar thing to what people complain about with shamans, where a, a certain group wins all the time. I, I would need a, a f- quite a few more plays of this to determine whether this game is going to always be a hit or whether it can be a dud or a hit, just depending on on how the early uh, missions or what are they called contracts, how the early contracts yeah, come out. Change the name. I, I think that could that could swing the game. Uh, the level of enjoyment of that particular round of the game quite a bit. But unlike a game like Fury of Dracula, where Dracula has a bad start and they're, they're just for an hour and a half, like just barely a step ahead and guaranteed to lose, in this game it's over in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So it might not be a big issue. But that's why I haven't, uh, I haven't really evaluated it uh, quite, quite that highly yet. I'm very excited to play more of it, though. I just really wish they hadn't been forced to retheme it because I love the tricky little death theme. Yeah, but the, I will say, because it's Cosmos, and for anyone who's played or seen The Crew, where they have that little standee captain thing, they did the same thing with Inside Job with the little standee for the uh, spy uh, piece, and it just looks great. And the little suitcases that you use as the little tokens you you collect, it's just it's a pretty good production. So mm-hmm. I I don't mind it as much. Do you not want a, li- a little suitcase, Johnny? <laughs> Everybody wants a little suitcase. Uh, uh. Number nine. Same order. Yeah, I figure we just go in circles. Okay. Uh, so my number nine is Mask Men. Uh, I'll be honest, climbers have a very difficult time making it in my top 10. Now, within my top 15, I have a couple others, but uh, I personally enjoy trick takers a lot more than climbers, like a lot, a lot more than climbers. I think just in general, the deduction, the the way that trick takers work tends to play to the type of gamer that I am. But Mask Men is an exception because I think Mask Men is just phenomenal, phenomenal on every level. I love the the partial orders i know that it kind of has uh it's a little bit notorious for being difficult to teach i have not experienced that issue with the game so that doesn't negatively color my view of it i think this one is so easy to get to the table the production is phenomenal everybody sees it and they're like wow this game looks great they're excited to learn what it is how it works uh and it's just been a hit with everyone that i've shown it to non-gamers and gamers alike so uh, it's yeah. It was an easy pick. <laughs> no, I mean I agree. The production of that game with the little wrestling belts for the points, 
the little oh, yeah, the wrestling masks for when you make the hierarchy for them the just vibrant colors of the cards themselves it's very beautiful on the table obviously the oink box itself being so cute and just being able to put it in your pocket and bring it anywhere like you said very easy to get to the table for many reasons i think with the player aids from bgg and with the naming of the wrestlers, which, by the way, I think is personally essential. <laughs> I've never done yeah. that. Uh, I'm not gonna, I can't air what I we call, call them. We call them blue, they're, purple, they're orange. Blue, purple, and the, <laughs> the orange guy. Yeah. Uh, that does take it up a level for, for me, really. And uh, we played it through the night and we were in tears of laughter. Just we, we said the names of the wrestlers every time they came out. So uh, you know, it's great. And I, I feel like some of the early reviews of the game might have been um tainted by the fact that you know the rule book originally way back when wasn't so well written so i feel like um you know give it a, another look if you've dismissed it previously yeah. yeah the rule book's not a great way to teach it i actually have the player aid uh marked as a favorite on my phone in my photo album so i can easily bring it up whenever we go to play mask men right next to the photo of the yeah. wife yeah <laughs> Well, my number nine has already been discussed, and that is Inside Job. So don't need to say too much more on that, except, again, I think that number is going to climb the more I get to play that game. We'll we'll see if that makes it into... I mean, I have high hopes for it. I am cautiously optimistic, but I'm excited to get more. We'll see if the next time we do this uh, top 10, if it's creeped up there. I'll be interested to see. Um, For me... Probably he's going to be scouts. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, it's sort of a milestone in card card game uh, recognition or Japanese design specifically, you know, because obviously Spout, uh, Spout, Scout uh, is now on the radar of many more people than it was um, uh, historically. And uh, I have the Japanese edition of this game. Uh, both editions look, look great, um, but really love the fact that you're uh you've got the tough choices to make you can't you know reorganize your hand unless you you know uh uh pick up cards and sort of rejiggle them then or at certain points in the game so i feel like such a clever design and we've had a lot of success with scout um at sort of three four players um so i think it's a kind of kind of game you can just get out and teach and get going and uh, people can see the uh the wonders and the cogs get whirring and uh it's it's one of our favorites. Yeah, this is one that I think everybody I've ever shown this to has always tried to look to find a copy. And I mean, the fact that it was nominated for the Spiel des Jahres, which unjustly lost, I think. <laughs> um, but no, it is great to be able to get these climbing, shedding, trick-taking games, you know, from the East to be on more people's radar is, is fantastic. and whether it's coming from Oink or any other publishers to to get more eyes on this is is great. Yeah, agreed. I, I I like Scout, so I'll be honest. Scout's like thirty nine out of fifty on on my list. Um, but oh, it's on there though, isn't it? That's it, a it's on there. there. Well, yeah. all fifty of the the games I've tried are on there. So um, <laughs> it, it's fairly low on my list, but not to say that it's a bad game. I've had a good time every time I've played it. Everyone that I've played it with has enjoyed it. But it has, with all of the other games that I've played, it's just never one that I'm eager to suggest that we play. But that's just do, a, do that's just a like... reflection on 
how good all the other games on this list are, not Mm -hmm. that Scout is bad by any means. And that's why making my list is so difficult because I agree. Like Scout's definitely not on my top 10. It's probably not in my top 20, but it's a solid game. And like, it's one that I wouldn't be upset bringing out, but it's not one that I'm going to be throwing to the table first. Somebody else would have to ask me. And for what it's worth, Hachi Train is two spots above Scout on my list. Oh, they're coming in at number 37. Do you feel like these climbers though, Johnny, do you feel like they're kind of they didn't stand as much of a chance just because of your, uh, and well, to a degree, your disposition towards trick takers or you know. Yeah, I, I mean I'll be honest, in in my, you know, uh, Frank Zoo and 535 are both in my top 15 and I think those are, are just so much, so much better than Scout. So not all of not all of the climbers that I've played rank low, but I don't think it's anywhere near the best climber that I've played either. Number eight. Oh, that was good. I got chills. <laughs> yeah, goosebumps. Um, my number eight is uh, Voodoo Prince. Okay. Voodoo Prince, yeah, trick avoidance. Um, I'm trying to think of what to say about about it. I just I love I just really like the um you know it plays like a trick taker. You know it's got that deduction the the, the stuff that I, you know, I'm, I'm like a broken record when I talk about the the aspects that I like about trick taking, but it's got all of those in spades or in princes or whatever joke Patrick's about to make. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me ammo. And uh and it's got this push your luck aspect that I really enjoy. Where, you know, we've talked, I think we've talked briefly about Voodoo Prince in the past, but you're essentially trying to hit your, your second trick as late as possible because the later you go out, the more points you get, unless you're the very last person to go out, in which case you get no points. Uh, and I just really, it, it, the tension in that was just really exciting for me. Yeah, no, it is just superb i think it's a comparison between that and he fu and i will always gravitate towards voodoo prince the idea of like you said sort of pressing your luck without it really feeling like a pure press your luck game because i know when people say that you know people who don't enjoy the dice rolling ink and gold or knight's shock with poison kind of press your luck might be pushed away by that but it's not that same kind of push uh pressure luck and I think it makes for really interesting decisions of if you look at your hand and you have to try and figure out what cards are you going to win tricks with, but then when do you win with them? Because if you win too early, then you might be afraid somebody's going to start playing out a suit that you're going to forcibly have to win with, you know, earlier than you anticipated. So maybe you want to slough that card off and short suit yourself in something else so just being able to analyze your hand every round and based on even in the middle of the round and where everyone else is at is really cool and then that like oh crap feeling you get when you're one of the last two people mm-hmm. and thinking oh no i gotta take a chick now i gotta take a chick now how do i do it how do i do it it's just it's so good and each round doesn't the person with the lowest score choose trump for the next round am i remembering that correctly yes i believe so yeah. So I think that's a that's a cool aspect too that that it it's not it's not such a blatant catch up mechanism where it feels bad to be in the lead, but it does kind of give that person you're you're always in it because you get to have some agency over how good your hand is in the following round. 
Hmm. But what I also like is it gives you, even if it's just a minimal amount of information, like, so even though that person's in last and getting that power, you're giving kind of everyone else around the table some information on your hand based on what color you pick. Unless you just want to be that oddball. So you could buff. Exactly. Could buff but, too. but that's what's great. Like, you could. Yeah. You, you could pick a color <laughs> you have nothing in or only like one or two. And it's, it's, it's great. It has lots of good choices to make. So, so do you know what? Voodoo Prince, I don't love it. I like it. Um, and part of that like is... I think it's good at I think it's really good at five, and I think we could probably all agree five is sort of the sweet spot for Voodoo Prince. Just because I've got so many trick taking games, it wouldn't be my first choice, but I really like I really respect Reiner Knixia as a designer. I'm a bit of a Nitsia fanboy. And um I think what he's achieved with Voodoo Prince is excellent. And also the fact that I know I can play Cauldron 15 with my copy. <laughs> does mean that Foodie Prince isn't going to leave my collection Full anytime circle. soon. I know it's quite, uh, yeah, no, it's quite hard to find at one point, but um, I, I, I'll still keep it and occasionally play Voodoo Prince. But I guess it's a product of having a lot of this new excitement and you know this, the products coming from uh, you know new designs coming out all the time. It's uh, not one that I it is at the top of my pile, so to speak. It's probably the equivalent of a Johnny Thirty Nine. <laughs> Made yeah, it did. It's only it's only yeah, ranked yeah. so low because all of your other games are so phenomenal. <laughs> well, there we go. That's it. All right. Well, my number eight is Owl About, and this is one that I just wish more people would like. <laughs> I think it gets not enough love personally. I know there are a few people uh, in the PGC Discord that that show the love as well. So I appreciate you few that are out there, uh, but. The art is so cute. It's just a bunch of tiny little owls. The idea of the game of trying to get second place throughout the round is so interesting. Um, just the powers on the specific owls can make things change. There's these night owls that you can see the backs of the cards on. It's just there's so many different pieces that all put together Sure, it's a little chaotic, and maybe that's why I like it. I like kind of chaotic games, but I think it's there's more structured chaos than something like Skull King. And I just, I don't know, I love it. I, I, it's one that I want to get to the table more often, but unfortunately hasn't been a hit with everyone that I've played with, so I don't get to play it as much, which is why it's a little bit higher on the list. I think if I had a group that could consistently, consistently play this with me, it would probably be in top five easily. It so, so I sorry, Johnny. No, you you're go ahead. I've heard it's a hoot. No, Patrick, you're done. Johnny, what were you saying? <laughs> no, no, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I've got the game, and I got the game on Ryan's recommendation actually. Um, so hoping you'll spend some some quality time to teach me at some point. Um. And if not, I'll, I'll work my way through the uh, the Bible of the the rules about all, how the owls do different things in the daytime and the nighttime. Um, <laughs> looks really interesting. I'd like to play it. I hear about the chaos, and um, you know, I like skulking. And if it has got more structured chaos than skulking, then that's probably a good thing to its credit. So I uh, look forward to trying it. I'm glad you mentioned the rule book because I've also had this game recommended to me by Ryan. And uh, what I've learned is Ryan recommends everything, so it's hard for me to blind purchase anything he recommends. <laughs> but 
I think it's adorable. And I went and looked at the rule book and it was, it was making my head spin a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's the best written rule book. I think that this is a game that's probably not as complicated as the rule book makes it seem. And if you're taught by somebody who knows how to play it, it probably is not nearly as daunting. Um, but I, I started to look at the rule book and I was like, um, hey, what's it all about maybe, anyway? You know, God, yeah. <laughs> you're cut off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's adorable. It's got, you know, an owl with a beanie and one with a little bird on its head. It's just, it's very cute. And uh, I've got it. I'm sitting here looking at it on uh, cloud cap and considering just going for it. Just drawing you in, it's calling your name. One other thing yeah. I do want to mention that is a fantastic graphic design is on the cards right above the owls. There's a little branch that goes across, and on top of the branch, there's little tiny owls. And the number of tiny owls tells you how many cards or how many copies of that card there are in the deck. So the 10, there's two little owls, so there's two tens. There's two nines, etc. But then for the night owls, it shows the last one uh, filled in, and then the rest of them are just like silhouettes with dashes around it. And it says last one above it because in Alabout, you can't play the night owls until it's the last card you have of that number. And I just think it's really, really clever design on the cards to make something that's a little bit more confusing to remember or having to explain at the beginning. You can just point and show them, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's so cool. I get it. Well, I'm sure me and Johnny look forward to our teach, Ryan. That'd be much appreciated. <laughs> is, yeah, is there a PCIO room for it? Absolutely. I made one and it's got all my buttons and everything in it. Well, there we <laughs> it's go. It's a Ryan special. Oh, yeah, we're sold. <laughs> we're sold. Um, my number eight was actually new to me, uh, fairly new to me, um, although I have, <laughs> have played it um, at least a couple of times at Free Players. Um, recently, um, roulette taking game now i didn't know when this when i first got the game people were sort of saying well you know uh it's not as good at four player it goes on a bit long but it's great at free player and so i actually had my partner paint um is it that comes with the roulette math doesn't quite tell you the the uh some of the trump suits in the game so you sort of painted on this uh, fabric paint onto this gold fabric paint onto the roulette mat looking great um but anyway when i finally played it i realized what what the fuss was all about uh if you're someone who likes to speculate a little bit um aka have a bit of a gamble now and again um i think you'll you'll really enjoy it and if you like trick taking uh the two go it's a marriage of um uh thematics that goes really really well together so we had a lot of fun with it the dynamic between the dealer and the players and the you know we had this thing where somebody would place a bet on the red seven and then the next round somebody's like well you've gone for the red seven again haven't you this time and it's just like this whole dynamic that it creates in the table talk uh, i'm a huge fan i'm still early to say but i think it's uh, warranted at number eight for its certain uniqueness i think this game can be a big hit or miss for people too it's one that your first play is probably going to tell you if you're willing to give it another go or if you're like nope i've experienced it that's it <laughs> i and as johnny said i like pretty much every game so obviously this is another one that i thoroughly enjoy uh, i am not a betting or gambling man in real life uh you'll be lucky to get me to like bet a penny on anything so when i can get into a 
betting, bidding, whatever that type of game is in a board game, I go crazy. And that's why I can't do it in real life because I would be so irresponsible. <laughs> well, you just put it all so, on black. Oh, yeah, just I starts, am the person yeah. who bets on the zero and double zero every time. And it's not just like a dollar or, you know, the white chip. I'm usually putting a couple red chips there. Because <laughs> it's times 50 on the odds for that. And that's, uh, that's big money if it comes exactly. in. It's just, it it's, sort of uh, goes in hand in hand with my shooting the moon thing. I'm always trying to go for the crazy option. <laughs> I have not played this one. Uh, it, it's intriguing to me, but I, it's, you know, with so many, I have just overextended myself with purchases. And this was just, I found out about this one just a little too late. Um, yeah, so I, I, I would like to try it, but I, I'm not quite ready to pull the trigger right at $40. Well, it's a roulette. You might like it. Or you, you, you know. I actually think Johnny's not going to like it. That is my okay. bet that I am going to put down. Well, that's yep, your I'm bet. You're putting that on the zero. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is it like very... I don't even know how it plays. Is it, is it just complete chaos and randomness? I mean, no. The thing is... When you make your bets, you're tr- basically the, the idea of the game is you're trying to figure out which card is going to win the last trick of the round. Right. Fine so you're placing yeah. bets after the first trick. What card's going to win, you know, eight, nine tricks from now? And obviously, there's so many cards left. There's a lot of information you're not sure. So typically, you're only putting one, maybe $2 early. Again, unless you're like me, you're just always going on zeros. But you're trying to hedge your bets lower. The problem is, if you never win a trick, you can't ever make a bet. And making bet and getting it right is how you win the game. You need to get bigger payouts than everybody else. And if while there's only two suits, black and red, and if you get trumps, you can trump in easier, but you know, deals can happen where you're never given a trump card and you just might not be able to win, or maybe you only win a single trick and it's pretty early in the round. So there can be some of those issues. Um, I have seen it in a, in a few of the plays that I've done, but you know, it's only one hand out of the three or four you play. It's overall pretty quick. And it's wacky. And- mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So yeah. you're expecting that going in, but that's, again, that's why I kind of think it might not be up your alley. Fair enough. Maybe someday I'll get the opportunity to try it, but I kind of have a feeling in in my local game group, if I don't buy it, it probably won't be purchased. I'm not lucky enough to have dedicated trick-taking <laughs> pals around here. <laughs> you and me play, both. We play online I'm together. the person yeah, who has yeah. to buy them all too, so I get it. <laughs> and provide the beers and everything else, yeah. Ready for number seven? Uh, yep. Number seven. Uh, my number seven is monster trick. So I, I just, I really, for anybody that hasn't played it, you have up to four tricks going on at once. It sounds super chaotic and crazy. It's, it's not, at least I didn't feel like it was so out of control when we were playing it. Uh, I really liked the aspect, uh, of being able to start a new trick. And there was a lot of there, there was actually a fair amount of strategy in trying to block somebody from being able to, especially late in the game, from being able to start a trick when you know they have a certain color left. So this is a, a, um, I'm gonna get the terminology wrong. It's a, it's a moving bidding game. What do you call that? A dynamic bidding. Is it? 
It's not really moving bid because you technically set your bid at the beginning of the round. You're just trying to hit that right number. It's closer to like nine lives where it wraps around and can keep going. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah, you but, set you have yeah. bidding cards that say how many tricks you're going to win. And one is face, you, you put them face down uh, in order. So there's three of them. And the first time you win a trick, you flip over the first one. Every time you win a subsequent trick, you're going to flip over the next one and put the, the first one face down. If you win a third trick, you're going to flip over the third card. Second one goes face down. And whatever your current number of tricks that you've won determines which card is face up. So you're trying to get the highest value card of the bid cards to be face up at the end of the round. And like Ryan said, it can wrap around. So early on, people may not know where you're... Well, people don't know what, in what order you put your bid cards, but later on, as they've seen them before, they can start to try to push you over the edge to to make you wrap back around. If it might make it harder for you to get back up to to your high card again. So there's a lot of uh, as the as the uh, round progresses, there's a lot of fun interplay between the players and yeah, practice your wrapping yeah. <laughs> skills. I think you've reached your limit for this episode. <laughs> I think maybe I have, yeah. This is to cut a few of these out. Um, oh, uh, yeah, Monster Trick. I, I've played it. I enjoyed it. I like it for what it does, and I like the idea you've got the several tricks. Um, I've seen comparisons to Ghosts of Christmas, not because it's the same, but because you're playing into multiple tricks. And I ha I haven't played the, uh, the latter, the Ghosts of Christmas, but... You know, uh, Monster Trick, it's a solid game, and I'd, I'd like to get some more plays of it in. I know some people have concerns because the bidding, uh, the scoring can it sort of incrementally increases between rounds. And you're kind of doing the, you know, you're going through the same uh, procedure. But that said, for what it is, um, I, you know, I, I like it. It's a, it's a cool game and maybe even a little bit Halloween-y, Johnny, with the yeah. monsters. The only thing I'd add to that, the most recent play of it that I had with my local gaming group, because we played it, I think, th three times in a row. And on that third play, we actually randomized our bids. So everyone just shuffled their cards and then played them all face down without looking. So no one knew the order of the tricks they had to win. And while it's obviously a bit more chaotic, it was really interesting because you didn't know how many tricks was too many, what was too little till you started winning them. So it was fun for everyone to just slowly reveal, oh, my first trick is my highest points. I got to stop now. <laughs> Other people who, what their first one wasn't, and then the second one, okay, now I got to get a third one. So it, just an interesting little thing to throw in there if you're trying to spice nice it up. Yeah. Interesting. I have a feeling I won't like that as much as the normal rules, but I do think that I would prefer to just play with, probably just play with the same bidding cards every round. Same scoring. Just do um, one, two, three yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the ramped I, scoring. Yeah, I, I don't think I. I understand. You know, I'm I'm sort of torn because I get the, the ramped scoring is a catch up mechanism, so somebody doesn't feel like, oh, well, I've already lost. What's the point in playing the third round? But it's that also exists. a runaway leader. Runaway yeah. leader. People say that about an. Uh, sorry, a Nancy and uh, otherwise known as Eternity, right? As well, it's the same kind of thing with the the scoring. Uh, sort of but the up. thing is, is I would rather have, especially in a game that takes 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes max to play, I would rather have a runaway leader than an arbitrary catch-up mechanism that makes 
when I say arbitrary, it makes the last round arbitrarily more valuable to win than the first or second round when you're doing the exact same thing in each round. So I, first of all, don't think it's a great way to implement a catch-up mechanism, but I think it's totally unnecessary in a game that's as short as these games that we're talking about are. I'd agree. My number seven is Pompiers. And this one, I think, deserves to be higher. But again, it's one of these I haven't played it enough recently to give it more plays. And I think I always want to caveat that with my games because I think the best game is the game you play more often. If you can get it to the table, it's always worth a a higher space just because it's getting playtime. Something just sitting on the shelf, unfortunately, just doesn't always have the ability to rank higher. Uh, But I love this one with the spatial element of the tricks. Um, What you do at the beginning of the game is you set up these little tokens that have a one, two, three, four, five, and on the top half, and then the bottom half is six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So on the top of one, right underneath it is a six. When you win a trick, you gather all those cards and you put it in the trick number that it was. So the very first trick, if Johnny wins it, he puts it in front of his number one spot. If Patrick wins the second trick, he puts it in front of number two. Johnny wins number three, he puts it in number three, and I have nothing in one through three. And every round, there's missions you're trying to complete, sort of like the crew, uh, the second one, Mission Deep Sea. And this one, though, is completely competitive. There's no cooperative aspect to it. And it just puts all those pieces together really well. There's sometimes you want to win um, vertical tricks, they call it. So like, again, the one and the six trick you'd want to win to be able to complete that mission or get the most blues or the least yellows or whatever it is. And that replayability in that game, even though there's a limited number of missions, the order they come out can be great. And uh, the timing of when you complete them, because there's certain tiebreakers based on which missions you complete. You can't complete it twice in a row, uh, but you can stop other people from completing it, which is really interesting. Uh, My only downside, and I think the other reason why it's a little bit higher on the list, is I think this is strictly a three-player only game. At four and five players, it's really easy to accidentally tie with other people for missions and not complete them and a lot of things just go uncompleted and in it doesn't seem as fun when you're trying to strategically do it and it just actually happens like it's just because a lot of times you get short suited something happens card gets played there's so many other people that can't manipulate where tricks go and something where it's like least amount of black cards taken if three people don't take any black cards then it's just like okay well that wasn't really fought for properly. Three players, it's a little bit spicier on those missions. Mm-hmm. I haven't played it. I do have a copy of it, and I've heard the comparison to the crew, which is uh, which is one of my favorites. So I'm very interested to play that one. I believe there was a uh, additional rules written that that weren't included in the the original printing. I have a, I have a printing that has. Some rules that I need to like download, I believe. Yeah, they change it so that the way you choose Trump, everybody puts a card in and then shuffles and then one gets revealed. That's the new rule? I remember there being a change because at least it's oh. for three player. It mm-hmm. might still be there for four or five. Again, it's been a while since I played that count, since I have exclusively played three for a while. 
but I know on the back of the rule book, it's like in a yellow pow uh, thing in, inside that, well, I guess, pow symbol, if you will. Uh, it says like rules changes for three players, and it does okay. that. And I remember that was added on later. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to, to playing that one. I, I really like the mission aspect of the crew, and I love, love the artwork on that one. It's just phenomenal. It looks so great. Yeah. There's some firefighters outside. No, they're on the box. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Pompey is uh, great. Um, I haven't played it, um, but I've got myself a copy. I've been told it's great with free players, like Ryan was saying. I think uh, other options exist for four players. So, you know, I I started with um, the crew and um, Wastick, which is a great game for four players with a couple of variants, but um, that's why I'm kind of excited to to have a game that does that, where players are competing with each other to fulfil missions, um, and have that you know the, the, the count for free players being sort of where it's at. And uh, my number seven is uh, Texas Showdown. Now, I don't want to go into too much detail with Texas Showdown because we have a cracking episode that i'm sure we're going to wholeheartedly recommend that you go and listen to after this if you if it's piqued your interest but texas showdown has always been for me fantastic five and six players um particularly so um elevated by learning the uh the strife rule where you know sort of one suit's nullified if you play the highest card in that suit and can't win the trick um but really, really good time. Uh, I love the way that, you know, you put multiple colours on the table, but, and then there, you know, other players can then follow those additional colours if they're, um, you know, were short-suited previously. And I, just such a good game. Um, and so glad that it's coming back and it's going to be available to purchase um, as uh, Seas of Strife, is yep. it? Yeah. So uh, cracking, a cracking one for me, and that, that's uh, firm, firm number seven. Love that game. That's all I need to say. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, same. Uh, it's actually on my list uh, as well, a little bit, little bit higher up. Uh, but yeah, absolutely love it. Number six. All right, number six is probably going to surprise you guys. Um, Edge of my seat here. Pops. <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, so my number six is Pups, actually. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is surprising. I wouldn't have guessed top 10 at all. I'm yeah. excited to hear this. I loved it. Um, I do think after we played it, unlike Cauldron 15, where taking a few of the cards out didn't work at all, I think in Pups, removing the, the undealt cards from the deck uh, would, would elevate it for me even higher. But even with the undealt cards, I just thought it was, it was just great. It was good fun. Um, it's one of those games where... If you just told me the rules of the game, I'd be like, oh, that sounds fine. Sounds like fun. Nothing too too amazing. But the the mutt cards, being able to to kind of strategically manipulate your cards to the right values at the right times versus just being beholden to the fixed numbers that you have to play, the fact that you can basically play two cards at once, uh, I, I think is a really interesting aspect. I like the way that the bidding works with the uh, the bidding cards and the fact that you get more points for hitting an exact bid than a um, at least bid, kind of similar to nine, to nine lives. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have recently played nine lives since it just was released. 
It's got kind of a similar similar bidding to that. Um, and the artwork, you know, it's just, it's the whole package. Unfortunately, I cannot find a copy. One day, Johnny, I believe. One day. One I, of those I wish... people on BGG will eventually respond to you. Yeah. <laughs> so far, he's been barking up the wrong tree. You know what I'd yeah. love is for uh, uh, Shinigami Preschool to just release the plus one, two, and three cards so I can actually use that deck. I know, right? So that's what... I think I told you guys that, right? That's what I was doing before with my Yeah, deck. but you did it, yeah. but I just don't want to... Yeah, yeah, using Bridge City Poker. Yeah, it, it kind of <laughs> like, they don't... They clash. Nothing against <laughs> the Bridge City Poker cards, but they yeah. don't but look right with the Shinigami Innovative. Cards. But it makes it so much easier to spot them as muck cards. Just want to yeah. say... <laughs> You need a use for the Shinigami preschool other than to play Shinigami yeah, preschool. Yeah, you don't want to play that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Well, uh, obviously I have so many things to say about Pups. It's, it's on my list. Uh, I've said in a few episodes in the past all my thoughts on it, so I'll, I'll keep it brief here. But, oh, it's fantastic. I think everything that you summed up, the art, the, the bidding, the mutt suit, just everything about it gels so well together. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to find a copy of Pups. Uh, sorry, Johnny. Uh, but I think it's, uh, I do think it's excellent. Uh, the production is, is amazing, even down to the little, uh, you know, head and tails coin that you flip um, with, with the dogs on it. I mean, it's just uh, fantastic. Um, I'd love to see that game come out again. And I think, Johnny, you know, you're right. You know, the fact that you can modify cards you play with the other cards um, in the game, the Muck cards is just uh, is just great, and um, it, it's light-hearted, but it's also very clever, um, and I and I really like that. My number six is seven segment tricks. One also, spot away from being the right number. Yeah, also known as uh, oh yeah, that's Twinkle Starship. Star yep, is that what it is? Yep, currently on Kickstarter, <laughs> twinkle, being twinkle, reprinted yeah. as Twinkle Starship. Uh, the first thing right out the gate is the moving bid in this game is clever. I love it. The fact that you start with a certain number of sticks based on player count that you use to change the numbers, which is the other twist to it, which is great. Uh, but the number of sticks that you have remaining is the number of tricks you're supposed to take is awesome the decisions that you make throughout the round how many sticks can you spend early to make sure you don't spend too many when you realize that your bids getting closer and closer to the amount of tricks you have and then you go over or do you hold them back and then all of a sudden you can't spend them fast enough to get to the number you're trying to go for or if you're like me and you're always trying to shoot the moon every round <laughs> how do you spread the sticks evenly enough to the other players where you can still make them miss their bid because the only, and this is a very, very, very minor nitpick. The downside of shooting the moon is to do that. You have to get rid of all your sticks and take no tricks. And by giving away sticks, you're essentially giving away points if other players hit their bid. And when you're trying to shoot the moon, you can't really mess around with other players too much about them missing their bid. You're really focused on making sure you don't take any tricks. So you're trying to precisely choose who you're giving your sticks to if that person's going to miss their bid. Because when you shoot the moon, you only get 10 points. 
And it can actually be easier to get more than 10 points just by getting a couple tricks and a bunch of sticks, especially if it's coming from one person. Uh, so that's kind of where it, it gets pushed down a little bit on my my overall being in the, the sixth space. Yeah, but that's, again, that's um, such a minor nitpick. I, I've had that nitpick with other games that were shooting the moon is almost not worth it other than for the fun of it from a from a what's better to actually win the game standpoint shooting the moon doesn't really make sense in a lot of cases i haven't played this i'm not saying that's the case here but that nitpick i think is fair that has brought games down a peg for me as well i haven't played uh this but it sounds at least when you started to describe the moving bid with using the sticks in your tricks but then also needing those sticks to be your bid value sounds kind of similar to Nocus dice where you're where you need to use your dice but you also need to leave the right die over at the end to hit your bid it's kind of kind of just triggered that in my mind when you started explaining it so i don't know how similar of a feel that really is but oh it absolutely is uh not to spoil it but Nocus dice is on my list and it's a little bit further down for a few reasons that we can get to when we talk about it but it, it gives you a very similar feel the biggest difference with seven segment tricks is that you get to modify the number of the card you play which i think is again where the really interesting part of the game comes in you have a single one in your hand and you could turn that into a seven or a three or six or nine or you know just depending on the amount of sticks you want to spend you can turn to different numbers and either make sure you really win the trick or try and make it even lower numbers so that you lose the trick. It's just, it's really clever on ways that uh, you normally have a card in your hand uh, that's like always a guaranteed winner could actually lose. It's, it's really interesting. Hmm. Uh, just a point of clarification. You've said a few times uh, now, further down the list, we are, we are going 10 to 1 where 1 is your best, right? Yes, it is. Okay, all right. I mean, I've been saying further down. up. Uh, oh, you have, I've been okay, saying further up so. the list, like it's higher up yeah. in my uh, rankings. Okay. I count, um, I'm counting down, so I guess that's where I was coming okay. from. Okay, and we, yes, well, we weren't clear going... on the rules of the the top ten, so I just wanted to make sure we're go we're both going right. in the same order. <laughs> well, extra yeah, spoiler: you yeah. haven't heard Trick Takers or Yokai oh, Septet yeah, yet, right. so you know I'm definitely getting closer to we one. We know, yeah, that's that's not at the bottom <laughs> of the pile. Uh I've got a copy of seven segment tricks, but guilty confession, it's gathering dust. I really need to play it. Um, just the opportunity hasn't oh, arisen. So this yet. Mm, I yeah. don't have a copy I, I of it, to. so I have a valid excuse. <laughs> I'm just a tease. I, I, I need to play it, and I, I will get it out and play it, and, uh, and I look forward to it based on the, the description because I guess that kind of leads us in nicely to my number six because. Um, that is uh, Nocus Dice. So we're kind of describing, I almost thought the way you were describing it, like Johnny said, you could be describing Nocus Dice. Um, for me, it's just something about having the physical dice components. I know you've got it with sticks to a degree, seven segment, um, but just the, you know, the array of dice on the table and saying to play as well, you know, we're playing with dice and cards. Um, really spicy. I feel like shooting the moon, and we'll probably get into the discussion anyway at some point, but uh, shooting the moon is pretty re pretty re rewarding uh, in Nocus Dice, but really quite hard to pull off. Um, 
I love the fact that what you know, like with Seven Segment, um, this is almost a full blown comparison, but it's nice that you know whatever's left on the table is what you're, um, you know, you're going to get bonus points if you if you make it in terms of what whatever dice is left in front of you. Um, so we've really enjoyed it and had some great a great time with it, um, mainly at four player. Uh, so for the similar reasons that Ryan pointed out for seven segment tricks is also why I love Nikosu Dice. I'd be very keen to to play at seven segment and do my own sort of comparison as well. Yeah, now we are able to discuss it, I guess the reason why Nokus yeah. Dice is a little bit better for me is a couple of different things. One, like you said, the shoe in the moon is a little bit more rewarding in this, especially if you're the only person mm. who hits your bid. The bonus points yes. that you get, no matter what you actually go for your bid, getting those bonus points can make it significantly worth it too if you make sure other people, whereas seven segment tricks, if other people miss theirs, you're still just getting 10 points. So that's for sure one mm. thing. And the other is the drafting of the dice at the beginning. Oh boy, is that so spicy. Mm. Knowing that you all are sort of working together to determine what's the Trump color and the Trump number, what numbers you give yourself to allow your availability of what your bids you're going to hit. Do you take a wide range of numbers? Are there even a wide range of numbers available? Or do you have a bunch of sixes, a bunch of fours? Like what you pick is just so nerve wracking, but so juicy every time. It's, nice it's just strike. everybody around the table can just feel the, the tough choices everyone's making. And it's just so good. Yeah. And you can totally get screwed by the other players, can't you? If they see what you're going for and they know how many points you've got and they can be like, oh, well, he's gone for that. Let's just play, you know, you they can, can try. They but can you try also have a lot of ability to protect yourself by playing your dice. If you know you need a particular number uh, early enough to be left in order to hit your bid, you can try to slough off the other yes. dice so that way they can't get rid of the one critical die that you need. So if you can hide the fact that that's critical die or leave the cards in your hand to give you an out when somebody tries to force a certain die out. Um, there's a lot of player agency and the fact that you're drafting about half of your hand in dice gives you a lot of agency to, to, but there lies the magic, hand. right? That's, that's half the fun. This battle with two and fro between yeah. the players. So it's probably pretty obvious. Nokus dice is also on my top 10. <laughs> we'll find out where it, where it ranks later. All right. Number five. My number five is Texas Showdown, a.k.a. Strife, a.k.a. Seas of Strife. I think we've already talked. Well, I know we've already talked about it, so I think we've probably (laughs) said all that needs to be said about it. Uh, But I just I really love the progression throughout a hand where I feel like every time somebody plays a card, it's it's exciting because you never know how that's going to change the valuation of the trick. So. It's just you're engaged the whole time. Every time somebody's playing a card, you're like, what, what's going to happen? And I just, I love that feeling. Yeah, the oohs, so the ahs, the ups, the down moments that everyone's having throughout the entire trick's always great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, my number five has already been discussed as well, and that is Pups. And Good it choice. is well des- Yeah, I think it's well deserving of being in the top five. I've gushed about how much I love this game and haven't had issues getting to the table the artwork again is fantastic i don't need to say too much that we've already discussed before but i think it's gonna stay a top five for me for a while i'm sad i want one (laughs) (laughs) yeah great great (laughs) or like a cat's Uh, retheme of it would be cool too (laughs) 
Do like what cat lady? Yeah, cat lady, but dog that's lovers. Cat lady. <laughs> yeah, Calico. No, no, there's quite a few cat games mm. out there. Cats I mean, I'm both a, a dog and a cat person, but my wife is very much oh. more a cat person, so she would love a uh, uh, kittens version. <laughs> kittens. Yeah, I could uh, maybe approach the publisher and see if they'll retheme it. My number five is actually Hamlin Cave um, because this is a game I've played a lot. Um, the production's phenomenal. Um, one of the best looking trick taking games that I've played to date, production wise. Um, I love the dynamic that you're, it's a two player game, so you're working together, this co op game where you're trying to navigate a ship through a cave with a piracy theme. Uh, there are ghosts that are trying to um, thwart your journey. This is like, you know, the ghost deck. And when that runs out, you know, you're going to be in trouble or maybe the cave collapses while you're playing cards or maybe um, you make this great play where you both somehow play a mermaid, which is quite hard to pull off. And, you you know, you move the boat forward. And I feel like there's a lot of tension there. And uh, there's a lot to explore. We've only completed level one um a couple of times uh level two uh you know i haven't taken my players there yet uh but it looks uh you know immensely more difficult so i think hamlin cave is uh, a very special game and um you know hopefully it becomes more widely available i heard a publisher might be picking it up that's fantastic news i i also really enjoy it i've only played it a couple of times and uh it's got everything i'm looking for in a trick taker I will say it, it didn't make my top 10, uh, spoiler alert, it didn't make my top 10, but I will be honest, it is very high up on my list of games and it's, there are very few two players, strictly two player games that, that are, that rank high for me. I end up in two player situations quite often with my wife, of course, but other than the fact that we're able to play games together when we don't have the ability to get together with groups of friends, two players, just not a player count that I typically enjoy a lot of games at uh, so that's probably one of the only reasons that it's not higher on my list but I, I think it's phenomenal the artwork is great i still need to do my pace steps which ryan has so graciously provided to the discord yeah um, they were great yeah i mean everything uh, you said I, I, great player i just have to i'll well. just echo you know everything you said is, is is spot on it's it's a fantastic game and there's a really great ability to uh, just like the crew to communicate without speaking by the cards that you're playing. And I really love that about both the crew and this game. And the other thing just to add to it is as a cooperative game, it is certainly difficult, which is good. You don't want to be able to breeze through every play of it. Sure. Level one, you know, intro level, once you've played a couple of times, you can get through it pretty easy, but the level two, level three, level four, level five, they start to ramp up in difficulty. Longer routes you have to go, more obstacles in the way. Uh, so it's great to be able to come back to that game often and, and you know, have a kick your butt sometimes because then it just makes you want to reshuffle, mm -hmm. start again and kick its butt. I love yeah, the way definitely. that they have done the double-sided boards with the numbers on it. So that way you, you flip them in different uh, configurations. So different permutations of flipping each board up or down, uh, they, ha they all have a one, two, or three on it, or four, and, uh, and getting the right permutation is just making sure that all the boards have the number of the level that you're going for. I thought that was pretty clever. 
good box saver too instead of having yeah. eight different things just keep those couple <laughs> for sure yep. number four I'm going to make number four a uh, real easy, nice, short discussion because we just, uh, again, this is another one we spoke about at length in our previous episode. But of course, Hearts is my number four. It had to be high up there. I mean, it's a classic for a reason. You talk about it a bunch, so. Yeah. Gianni's the, the heart for I mean, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I don't play it enough, and I, I honestly don't suggest it often enough, but I feel like um, people love the, the fancy art on, on all these new games and. It's it's easy to get people excited about the uh, the designer games with the you know Sai Beppu artwork and, and such and maybe she'll make a hearts deck at some point. <laughs> but uh, it, it's oh, that's a special request. Yeah. I hope she it's does. It's just a, it's <laughs> a little bit harder. I mean, I think if I pushed harder, I could get the game to the table more for sure. I have not done my due diligence in trying to get this game to the table more. Uh, but I I do know that uh, people see a standard deck of cards, they're a little less excited on a game night. Uh, if it's if it's you know, if we're sitting at home after dinner with some friends and it's not a, a game night and I pull out a deck of cards, that, that might go over much better. But if I bring a standard deck of cards to a dedicated game night, it's just it, people don't get excited about it. Uh, who invited this guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's totally understandable. And I think that's, you know, a valiant effort on your part. You got to just try and, and, and do that. Bring that standard deck card. Make them listen to our previous episode. Get them all amped up about mm. <laughs> some other games they can play and, and show them what Hearts is all about. I think while it's not my favorite trick avoidance game and I don't see it ever making my top 10, I can absolutely see why it's on your you know top five. And while it's, you know again, been a household staple for generations, it, it's a very good, as I said in our last episode, the purest form of trick avoidance and it just does it so well mm-hmm. well my number four it's another one we've already discussed here is nocus dice <laughs> so a few spots higher than seven segment tricks and well deserving of the number four spot for the many reasons we have all mentioned i think <laughs> so mm-hmm. no need to really discuss more except for <laughs> if you can find it give it a play if you can you know buy it great if there's any way uh proxying it is pretty easy to do if you've got a couple d6 well you need more than a couple but if you own sagrada it's really a easy handful. to use the dice in sagrada uh it's just it's a fantastic game yeah i think in a previous episode yeah, we I actually just... enumerated all the components that you would need to proxy yeah. this build your own um i actually use a copy of parade which by the way i think is a good game um anyway um but got myself a lovely set of colored dice and it works really well i mean you know uh, by all means we support the publisher if you can and, and if you can find the game fantastic but if you can't and you want to try it out and see if it works for you then uh you know there, there are ways and means of of doing that and that's that's one of them um so for me, uh, number four uh, is Teach You. And the reason it's I've had a bit of a weird relationship with Teach You because um, actually there's uh, someone in my group who really doesn't like team games. And when this first came out, it was really, really hard to sell to that, that, that person. Um, but I have played it outside of, uh, you know, with other people, other groups. And we've had a lot of fun with it. I think it's, for what it is, it's a 
uh, one of the classic climbers, being a product of the 90s, early 90s. Um, but there's just so much uh, fun uh, to be had with the different types of melds. Uh, you know, you, having your partner, you've got the element where you can call uh, Grand teach you. Uh, I know uh, John from John and Gets Games likes to, to do that every round. Uh, sounds fun. I've not tried it that way. Um, but uh, teach you just having those special cards in there, you know, with the dragon and uh, being the most powerful card and being able to call for certain cards when you play the, the dog. Um, and it's just like it's really hard for me to describe how much fun it can be once you get over the initial teach, there's a little bit of a teach and people sort of say, well, the dragon, why does, you know, why does it go to the other team and, and things? But if you are prepared to commit time and you've got a regular group, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. Really cheap to pick yeah. up as well. Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I haven't, I've only played teach you a few times, but I was a little bit surprised after, after playing several other uh, trick takers and climbers how long of a game it is and so i didn't sell it very well to the groups that uh to the people that i that I was playing with that it, this is a multi-hour endeavor this is not a filler game that you play you know like a 10 15 minute trick taker oh, would yeah, be yeah. you'd have to adjust yeah your point so limit. so either yeah. adjusting the point limit or, or just setting expectations properly but but i do really really like teach you and i it's one that i need to to try to get played more and maybe get a dedicated group that wants to to learn conventions and, and strategy and stuff a little bit more in depth well, there is that uh, sort of unofficial teach you league that was going on within the PGC Discord uh, that I know Dan was trying to help run. We had one that was outside of the Discord before that, and I believe they're trying to start one up again. So maybe you find out because Dan and Bert and there's a, obviously a few other people that love that game, mm-hmm. obsessed with it. Uh, so I'm sure if, if somebody tries to mention <laughs> doing that again, that it would probably, you know. I could Sparks. see myself getting there. I mean, it's it's a it's definitely a phenomenal game. I, I need to bring yeah. it out under the right circumstances, and maybe this tournament is exactly how I need to to dive back into it. Yeah, full player only game. Yeah, so out. yeah. yeah. The yeah. think the for me the best thing I can say about Teach You is the different decks <laughs> you can get out there are so beautiful. <laughs> if you can find anything that's not the Rio Grande Games version. The Italian tissue deck, the French one. There's a whole bunch of different ones. There's, an, I'm sure I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Obero or something. It's on Amazon. Oh, I know uh, what you're talking about, but I also don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there are some very pretty decks out there. Uh, I think it's an okay game. I understand its elegance, and I appreciate the design of it. It 100% get why so many people love it. But for me, if I'm playing a team game... I'm playing Yokai Septet. <laughs> we know. We know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course, the Yokai man. I should have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tara and I actually were on a team in that previous tournament that I was mentioning, the Automated Grinch Rangers, as our team name. And I think Tara doesn't really like it that much either. And it kind of showed in our games. Uh, we, uh, yeah. you know, we, we stuck through it. We were able to play till the end. Like, we didn't just quit. But after our games, we were kind of like, yeah, we're kind of so-so on it and like we didn't really try to learn any conventions or spend the time to like be a better team we were just kind of there to enjoy the company of everybody else and and still try and have a good time just because you know we're playing games with each other yeah and that's what makes card games so good right you can sort of enjoy each other's company without worrying if you you know you turn away for one second you you probably lost the game and you know some of the heavier games out there so it's quite nice and down to the final three with number three 
My number three is one I've mentioned probably on almost every episode, at least briefly, is The Crew. Um, I didn't put a subtitle on this because I think both are fantastic. I think Mission Deep Sea is a little bit better. It's got more interesting tasks, um, but I also think that there's a nice elegance to the original where you're just trying to, to win certain cards and certain, certain people have to win certain cards in a certain order. So I, I don't really know that I have a strong preference for either one. Probably depends on my mood. But The Crew, for anybody that doesn't know, is a cooperative trick-taking game. And you have each, each round you have a mission, which in Mission Deep Sea, it's usually there's a number of points and you're drawing a, a number of mission cards uh, equal to that point value. And they can be anything from, in, in Mission Deep Sea, it can be anything from uh, win only the last trick, but then maybe your other mission that you've got it paired with is win the pink four or win one of every color. There are certain combinations that actually don't work with each other and it'll say it on the card. So sometimes you get a weird deal and you have to kind of fix it. Um, but overall, I mean, the game's really smooth. It's so much fun. Uh, I've played a lot of the original crew as at four players, which I really, really liked. And I've played Mission Deep Sea exclusively as two players with my wife. And we also really enjoy that. There's kind of a third dummy player. And uh, it, it just, it works phenomenally. The, the two-player game of the crew is, is very good. I, I think I prefer four players, but um, we've played like almost 50 times two players. So obviously we like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I agree. Uh, that the second one, the Mission Deep Sea, is better overall. That's not to say that I haven't played the first one hundreds of times before the second one, you know, didn't exist. So if anybody has never played the crew and they're asking, should I play? Which one should I play? Or if they're going to play with me, I have no problem bringing out the first one. And I think you should still experience the first one before you get to the second one just like you would have normally done it when the games first came out to see the evolution of the game where it originally came from. And like you said, the sort of elegance of just winning the specific cards and then sort of go into mission deep sea and, and see what those extra missions look like. I think no matter which one you're playing though, you're, you're winning. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a bit like we said with hearts, isn't it? You go back and you see, you know, how the evolution of trick taking and how it's progressed and, appreciate the old designs and then you gain an uh, an even deeper appreciation of the newer uh successes that are coming out as well so um i'll save my thoughts to the crew because uh, mine's lower down my list as ryan would say <laughs> um <laughs> but great game well my number three to probably no one's surprise is trick takers I my only surprise could... is that it's not number one. <sighs> yeah, or two at yes. least. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I could guess the others, but I, yeah. I won't because you know suspense <laughs> and all that. Yeah. Well, I think one, two, and three. Like I said at the very beginning of the the episode, these are f secured in the one, two, and three spots, but they could probably all interchange with each other. Uh, but anyways, as I have it now, number three is Trick Takers and. I could talk about this game for hours and then probably a couple more hours. In fact, we've done that hours. in an episode. And then I've done it in other episodes. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had a dedicated episode. episode and I still managed to not have enough to talk about and I had to spill it into the next episode. <laughs> and there's just so many things I can go on with this game. And, and I get, 
this can be a hot take because I know as much as I've talked about it and other people, whether it's in our Discord or on PGG or a couple other places online, it, it makes it seem like it's being hyped up more than it should be, if it's becoming the new hotness, whatever it might be. And, you know, it doesn't need to be your game. I understand that it's chaotic. It's got a lot of rules overhead, the asymmetry, the short hands, the only five card tricks, having not enough time to actually make it a quote unquote trick taker. I get that. I totally understand where people are coming from. And saying it's not a good game is totally fine. It's just for me, though, and especially my gaming group, we all love it. We all have a great time with it. Every time it hits the table, people are trying to decide new orders to draft their characters or new combinations to make, find ways to get crowns, stop people from getting crowns. Again, adding the expansion in just 10,000 times better. (laughs) The little trick takers with the shop. Again, I I could I'm going to stop myself before I go too far, but it's just uh, so good. So I I just have to say that all of the all of the negative ammunition that you threw out there for people to explain why they don't, what they don't like about trick takers, trick takers. Those are all, those are all criticisms that I have leveled at this game. Despite that, I think it's a lot of fun. And I think that says a lot about, about the game. I mean, the powers are just expansion in particular, because I, I was a little bit lukewarm on the, the base game. Um, But the, the powers are just a lot of fun. It's, it is crazy and chaotic, but for me, it's done in a way that's very different from Skull King. And, and uh, you know, as we all know, I, I don't like Skull King, uh, but I really, despite having, uh, you know, on paper, having a lot of similarities to Skull King, I thoroughly enjoy the game. So. Yeah, and you know what I'm going to say now? It's lower down the list, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Only two slots to oh, fill. You're trying, to, you're trying to become trick taker man to <laughs> keep in suspense. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Uh, oh, there we go. Uh, so there'll, there'll be more to be said on trick takers. Um, but well, Pat, uh, well. we've said it all. <laughs> well, not, Get not your... too much more. A little snapshot <laughs> from me. Uh, uh, and my number three is actually probably one you probably wouldn't expect, and it kind of surprised me anyway. Um, but I'm actually picking Hatchy Hatchy Train as my number three, uh, which you know next to heavyweights like Hamlin Cave and Nagosu and other you know the other games we've mentioned, Hatchy Train is probably one of the most simplest climbing games you could possibly teach to somebody. You know, there's no runs. It's literally you play a number, you play multiple numbers, and then to beat those cards, you play more cards or you play higher numbers, right? Um, and part of the reason why I like it so much is because of that simplicity. We tried it out with a couple of strangers. You know, um, I've, I've had previous plays before that, but the, the other night, and uh, they were immediately they were sold. They were like, you know, this game is so where good. Where do I get it? And I th- <laughs> oh yeah, about that. yeah. Where do I get it? And I was like, well, <laughs> this conversation is going to get derailed pretty quickly now. Um, but in all in all honesty, the reason why I prefer it to Scout is because. And um, and I think one of the players that made made this point as well. Um, having that deck that you pick up from when you pass um, to get the special numbered cards, which are kind of a you know a dual number, you can use them as one number or an- another. Um, mitigates having being down to bad hand to begin with. And although 
Uh, Scout and and uh, Hatchet Train share a lot of DNA where you you know you can't reorganize your cards to to a certain degree until you you know get cards. Um, I feel like the the mitigation with having that deck in uh, Hatchet Train is better, and I also like what it does to my brain where even if you beat a meld, you've got to pick up the cards and put them into your hand. Um, you know, not unlike Scout, but at the same time, you you don't always want to um beat melds in Hatchy Train. It's not always in your interest. So um, without going too deep into it, I I love this game and I think it, it, you know it's going to be there in the top 10 for yeah. quite I a mean, while. It obviously didn't make my top 10. I've already said where it, where it sits on my list. But yeah. I do really enjoy Hatchy Train uh, quite a bit and certainly more than Scout. I think the decision space is probably very similar in terms of depth but i think it's a much more interesting decision space i have a lot more fun making decisions in hachi train Mm -hmm. than i do in scout and uh i would 10 out of 10 times i would pull out hachi train before scout yeah that was the dilemma we had is like you know the other night it was like oh i've got scout but then this is hachi train it was like yeah hachi train (laughs) i still have yet to actually play hachi train Got my copy, but haven't played it. So I think the only thing I want to make a comparison to, which you said, Patrick, is the when you pass drawing mm. from that deck, is the reason why yeah. I really love, and my wife especially, really loves Bridge City Poker. Bridge City Poker is not on my top 10, mainly because for this, I pick specifically trick takers only. If I start adding in climbing climbing games and shedding games, it gets harder to figure out the list. So I just try to keep it nice and straightforward for trick takers. Um, but Bridge City Poker, I think, would be up there for me because it's one of those at the beginning of the game when you're dealt, you know, the 7, 10, whatever, depending on the player count cards, you can strategically pass on purpose to start drawing more cards to have a better hand. So I kind of like that idea. And again, I'm still excited to play Hachi Train from all the things everyone keeps saying about it. I'm, I would love to see how those comparisons do stack up to Scout, Bridge City Poker, and Recurring. Uh, number two? Is it? Number two. All right. My number two. Yokai Septet. Great choice. So yeah, yeah, of course. Wow, um, what yeah, a choice! I mean, I, we did an episode about it, so we can keep this uh, nice and short. But um, it's team trick taking. There's not a lot of them out there, and it does it extremely well. And the uh, the hook of of you know all this, everything's around sevens, right? Trying to to win, essentially best out of seven for. Uh, taking yokai and not getting the seven tricks before you get four yokai it's it, they've they've made the game easy to remember all the rules by making everything revolving around the same number um the art's fantastic like i said team games are always gonna gonna be a step above other games for me uh, although my number one's not a team game spoiler alert i always do spoiler it after i say the thing Ooh which I know is wrong and everybody on the internet's going to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, team game trick taker, it is super, super brain melty. I mean, I know what I'm trying to do in Yokai Septet, but it, it makes my brain hurt trying to figure out in the moment, like which card do I play? What do I lead right now? I know I handed my partner these three cards, but 
are, are they on the same wavelength as me? Or are they going to screw me over by accident, mm. you know, screw us over because I played the wrong card here? Uh, it's just, there's a lot of tension in it. And uh, yeah, it's fantastic. The yokai man might have something to say. I always have something to say about this game. <laughs> I said I could talk about trick takers for hours. I think that's just because there's so much content in that game with the small amount of quote unquote content in Yokai. I could talk about this forever. It's amazing. I will never say no to a game of this. It'll always be in my bag. Anywhere I'm going, I toss Yokai Septet in. Even wow. if there may or may not be four people, we're not sure. Well, you know, maybe one person might show up late. So you've got to break it just in case. It, it always yeah. makes the table whenever I can make possible. And the fact that I have a group of friends here that like the game enough as well, they backed the most recent Kickstarter. Of course, those shiny foily sevens look all nice and pretty. It's just such a great game. Can you just, just sum up like what, can you distill for us? Because you you are better at... at um... No, 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 not, yeah. well, probably. <laughs> Actually, no, I've beaten Ryan every time I played this with him. So, um, oh, okay. <laughs> um, But I think you're, I think you're better at uh, expressing uh, what makes a game so good. And I think Yokai deserves that right now for people that are listening to this. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I did a little bit in the Yokai episode as well. So I'm sure go ahead, give that episode a listen to. But... The, the tension, the choices that you make, every single trick, no matter what it is. Again, you only have seven tricks to get those four or more sevens between your teammates. What do you lead with? The 13 blue, highest in that suit, it's probably a good choice. But who has the blue seven? You don't know. Maybe you pass it to your teammates. So great, you know they've got it. You play the blue 13. The second person to play a card who's not your teammate plays Trump. <laughs> You're already now freaking out like, oh no, I hope my teammate has something else besides that blue seven. And you know, hopefully they do. They play a blue nine, great. Now the other team's winning a useless trick. And then all of a sudden that fourth person plays an offsuit seven. They don't have any blues, so they toss out the red seven. It's just the different highs and lows that can happen in a single trick are great. And again, the fact that the sevens are what you're going for, but also the sevens are worth a different number of points can have some really interesting decisions. I kept I sort of in that example, I used the blue and the red sevens because those are the ones that are worth the most points. Um, so when your team's going to win it, you want to get those. But if the other team's winning it and you know they're going to get a seven, you want to toss out the green or the purple, which are worth zero, you know, the pinks, the blacks, one point each. So that way your opponents are getting less points. So every trick matters in this game. And I think it's one of the few trick takers where I think every single trick will matter. I think that's probably a good Yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, where do I go from there? Um, you know, the, the production is fantastic. The love the shiny cards. Great. Um, as a team game. We had a lot of fun with this one. And to be honest, it didn't lose out by much on my top 10 list. I put this at number 13. Um, such a good game. And the only reason I haven't played this more is because, you know, having that group where some of them, you know, not so keen on team games. But if I get the chance to play a group of uh, four who want to play a team game, this is coming along with Teach You. Fair. 
Well, my my uh, number two is pretty easy to segue into because it's also Yokai Septet. <laughs> and I don't know if we've we mentioned go. it though in detail on this episode about what makes Yokai Septet so great. So <laughs> I think I should start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think I'll just leave it at that here, and we'll we'll see what Patrick's number two is. Yeah, so my number two, uh, again, we we've touched on it, is Trick Takers. So I love the game. I'm uh, haven't played my real life copy yet, although I've pasted it up and obviously played a lot uh, with you guys. Um, love what it's done to the genre. I uh, love the asymmetry. Um, so in terms of design, I feel like it's a, it's a great milestone for trick taking. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm, it's not a requirement, but I love roots a lot and I can see some of the, the, um, perhaps inspiration is the right word for, you know, behind some of the characters in, in, in the game. Um, but I think I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. The production's phenomenal. Uh, a lot of the tokens, they look like sweets. You can't really, you know, where'd you go from that? Uh, that great you just want to eat it or do you want to play it you know that's the dilemma you face why not both um <laughs> what a twist both? that would be if it turned uh, we, out we they actually work candy and we've all been avoiding eating them yeah it's your <laughs> purpose but then you've got to buy the game you've got to buy the game again so the designer wins right that's uh <laughs> um in a, and one of the listeners actually asked the question this is cheating a little bit here but they said um which games artwork production makes you want to play them and enhances your experience well you know other than the the Hamlin Cave I, I mentioned earlier, but this is such a prime example of that. So I just wanted to say, um, there's your answer, Steve, to that question. And my number two uh, yeah. trick So I, I, we've obviously talked about it at length. So uh, the only thing I, I want to add on to the production aspect is it was like one of, I, it's only 21 on my list. Uh, so I'm not as in love with it, but it was one of the most magical unboxing experiences <laughs> that I've had with a game. <laughs> Like a oh, it's beans. so great. Yeah. The little bubble wrap protectors on the sides. Oh, and the cards, I mean, envelopes. The envelope, yeah. it just seems like a crime. Yeah. Those cards are some of the nicest. It's some of the nicest card stock, and uh, the finish is great. Yes. I love it. I've put label paper on it, Johnny. That's it's too <laughs> late. <laughs> number, number, number one. No, I don't like that. That's oh, not dumb. Brian's broken. I was trying to do an echo. <laughs> And I was like, it wasn't working, so we're going to just redo that. I'll echo. Hey. <laughs> Number one. I did, <laughs> I did have to mention before we uh, made our lists that you know, Pat asked me, well, what's fair game for the list? And I said, not our echo. <laughs> not our echo anything but our echo uh, recycle that joke a few so, times so uh my number one if anybody has been keeping track i said this is on my list and haven't said it yet is no Castace. wow yeah it is uh it's my favorite it's a solid look, number one though you look you look skeptical you looked skeptical mm, but you said solid. solid number one <laughs> no i i it was, is solid. I was yeah. just i'm just thinking how great of a game it is it's i can so see good. why it's your number one yeah i i absolutely can, can mm-hmm. see why it's yours yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you like many. We have a lot of overlap on this list, so you know we've probably mm-hmm. said more than we our do. fair share of yeah, times we've said all there is to say about it. Um, but it, as to why it takes the number one spot for me, sometimes it, it's well. I mean, um, who was it that just said a few minutes ago the the one that you play the most is the best game, right? Because there's a reason you keep playing it. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I haven't gotten Nokus dice to the table nearly as often as it deserves to, but 
each time that I have, it's just been one of the most phenomenal experiences for everyone at the table. Uh, you know, there are some games that you you pull out and three out of four people love it. One person's like, oh yeah, that was okay. It was pretty good. Uh, Nokus Dice just seems like everybody loves it. I have, I've only gotten it to the table with two different groups, but both times everyone was having a really, really great time with it. And there are so few games that are just unanimously loved by the people that I introduced them to. And the fact that this is one of them, I just think speaks volumes for how great of a game it is. I agree with all of that. It's fantastic points, Johnny. Yeah, I concur. Fantastic game. And I uh, absolutely love it. Well, I know you sort of said we had a lot of overlap here on our lists, but surprisingly, this isn't on anyone, else, anyone else's list. And my number one is Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. <laughs> I, I feel bad that, sure. it's, I, I feel yeah. bad that it's not on my list because it deserves to be. But like you, it's, it's like number one, two, three, and then everything else sort of thing. Yeah, the fact and, that it's not on my top ten should not uh, detract I, from I how much I love this game. <laughs> yeah, and I, I and the reason why yeah. it makes number one for me, as I said, and you just kind of repeated here, Johnny, is number of plays. Schadenfreude is a game that at three, four, and five player counts, everybody loves it. Everyone I've ever played with has a blast. It's enjoyable. All player counts work fantastic. It removes a couple cards at three. Um, so it keeps it down a little bit, but just the way the trick-taking works, the way you get points, the fact that everybody can lose by going over the certain, you know, the 40-point threshold, or even if you manage to be in the quote-unquote winning place because somebody busted, if you're tied with another player, you make each other bust, and then it goes to the next person. There's just so many hilarious moments in this game. Uh at three players, I always kind of refer to it as the knife in a phone booth, or knife fight, excuse me, in a phone booth, where it's just so it's just a knife, just a knife, yeah, in a it's phone just a knife, just a yeah, nothing else. <laughs> I mean, it's still, I think that's a great way to sum it up too. But it it's just so tense. Everybody's after each other. Like you have a lot of control on who you want to go for or yourself if you're trying to get more points. And at four. It's a little bit less there, but you still have some decisions. And then five, it's really chaotic, but it's so much fun. It's one of those, though, where the last like two or three tricks, it can get really random, though, because offsuiting happens a lot. And to not go too much into the rules of the game, if the person who wins the trick, they will take all cards that are of the non-lead suit and put them in front of them. And the points you get are the face value of the card. So if somebody leads with a two, that's not a lot of points, but then somebody offsuits an eight, another person offsuits a seven, another person offsuits a five, like you're getting a lot of points quickly when you might've had zero at the beginning. So it can be kind of hard to gauge. But the thing is, like I said, everybody I play with even at five players loves it because you have that expectation ahead of time that, okay, five players is going to be a little more chaotic. We're totally fine with that. Three and four, we know we're going to have a little bit more control. We're fine with that. Like it just fits all those uh, thresholds really well. And I think the last point I want to make, which is the other reason why it's number one for me, is this game is a trick-taking game and trick avoidance game at the same time for all players. But depending on how many points you have, you're playing a different game. And I just think that's so brilliant. The fact that one person who's got two points overall is trying to take tricks and then someone who's got 38 points is trying to avoid tricks all within the same round is just so good. I'm having trouble focusing on you, Ryan, because I feel like the top of Pat's head just blew off. 
<laughs> oh, well, that, yeah, it's, it is Halloween. So what did you expect? That was the party trick I had prepared for. <laughs> yeah, I never, I've never thought about it that way, but that is, that is a really clever uh, aspect to the design. I've only played it at three because I've, I, I have so many games that I haven't played. And uh, I've heard more than once that Schadenfreude is, is far and away best at three. And so I haven't, when we've had other player counts, I've, I've up until this point just suggested other games and I haven't had a lot of three player opportunities. So I've only played this game a handful of times at this point uh, and I've loved it every time, but maybe uh, five sounds like maybe a game I won't love based on the way you're describing it, but maybe I got to try it at four because I get four players at the table a lot more often than three. Maybe that'll get me, uh, get me to play this enough. Maybe it'll show up on my top 10 next time. I'd highly recommend giving it a go at four. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great game. I uh, played it wrong originally where I just didn't, you know, in between rounds, we didn't carry over the score. So we were like, oh, is that it? Nobody hit 40. <laughs> um, now we've played it properly. Great tension. Fantastic. Uh, the early editions, uh, uh, well, the cards weren't rounded. So I got there like a um, the, the kind of hobbyist I am with my corner rounder and you know, rounded those corners. But uh I believe there's a new edition out. It looks great, and that that comes with rounded corners. So mm-hmm. have no fear. Um, I have both. Fantastic! I love the yeah the point <laughs> threshold. And, are you going to hit over? <laughs> <laughs> are you going to hit over forty? At least that you know that happens in my games now. Um, the best was we had a game yeah, where everybody hit over forty, and you know we didn't see it coming right away, and and then we realized. Well, Wait, what happens when everybody goes over 40 and we look at the rule book? We're like, oh, I guess we all just lose. <laughs> it's just we're great. all screwed. I, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> like it it speaks to the name. Like the, they they titled this game perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't yes. know what uh, Schadenfreude means, it it means taking joy in the misery of others. Yeah, forget my pronunciation of it. I always get it wrong. Um <laughs> Uh, okay, so my number one then, without further ado, is uh, well, you probably guess it's the crew, um, and I'm just going to say the crew full stop. Although I haven't played uh, Mission Deep Sea, I did complete the Planet Quest for Planet Nine over quite a long period of time. Uh, you know, just getting the right people together and did the extra missions that were available online, which are supposed to be more similar to the missions in Mission Deep Sea. Uh, very much looking forward to it. I love the group dynamic co-op game, but I don't think I've ever had so much fun with um, one game and so much replayability. Um, even though you're limited on the number of missions, the, obviously you you know you don't get them all the first time. Um, just the memories you know with had a had as a group, and uh, you know the look on people's faces when you pass them certain cars, and I just yeah I don't know how anything's going to dethrone the crew for me other than the crew mission <laughs> deep sea um so i'll be interested to see what they come out with in the future of course but uh it was close with trick takers but i you know it just um there's something really special about the crew and what it's done to our hobby and how you know more people are now drawn to trick takers because of it and I think, you know, for that, it's such a fantastic Yeah, I mean, we've game. all played, I've probably, I'm going to venture a guess that I've played fewer total trick takers than either of you. And I'm, I'm still at uh, above 50 uh, unique trick takers. 
And the fact that two of us have the crew in our top three. Ryan, where did the crew rank in yours? It is not within it's my not, top It wasn't 10. in your top 10. I didn't think it was, but I wasn't 100% sure. Was it so top two 15? of us have ranked it in our top three, and it is one of the most accessible trick takers out there. You can easily get this on Amazon for like $12, $13, I think, maybe $15. Uh, I just think that that's phenomenal. That's such an easy-to-find, accessible game is that good that it stacks up against what we're so spoiled for choice. We have so many good trick takers out there and the mm-hmm. fact that, that this game is anybody can go out and buy it and, and have one of the best ones out there. It's just, I just think that's phenomenal. Yeah. I think what would be surprising that it doesn't make my top 10. Cause as I've said, the game that gets played the most deserves to be higher on the list. The crew and one and two absolutely have been played probably the most out of any trick taker i've played for many reasons as you both have just stated here and i only think the reason why it's not on my list is because i don't know trying to think of it actually i'm not really it's not boutique enough for you i mean you know it's too accessible uh, it it could be that (laughs) the fact that you can go to any store and get it is like oh i don't want that no But like That's a standard, and, standard and game of cards, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a great game like patrick said that's allowed more people to get into the trick-taking world it kind of blew up when the first one came out and seeing a lot more people that i knew who never really played trick-taking had heard of this game before was kind of blew my mind um i think part of the issue that i have with it is because it's cooperative, you can have an alpha game issue, alpha gamer issue, where somebody, especially who wants to card count, because completing missions can be important to know when cards come out. And I mean like pure card counting, every single thing, knowing what comes out, and a little bit of the deduction thing, as we sort of mentioned in our previous episodes. They get mad if somebody doesn't play the right card or do the right thing, and it can push some people away. I've been in games and in hands and situations where somebody who's newer to trick taking comes over and they're like, oh, well, hey, mm. like one of somebody mentions, let's play the crew. The crew's a great game. We could all play it together. Yeah. And then a couple people start like, you know, why didn't you play this? I don't understand. You should have played the pink nine here. It's like, well, they've never played a trick taker before. They still don't understand the flow. And it can be kind of an issue yep. because people think, well, we're working together. It should be a little bit easier, but it actually can mm. sort of make it a problem. Yeah. So when I play this game with my gamer friends who've played many board games and many trick takers, it's always a great time because we always understand that even if we do rag on each other, like we get it, might have been a lapse in judgment. We realize what we should have done differently. It's okay. And we can sort of like talk about it strategically instead of kind of just like, why didn't you get that and and kind of make them feel bad? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny to hear the alpha gamer problem in a game where you're not allowed to talk um, during <laughs> during the round. But <laughs> you can't but talk the, in space, the, the right? Ragging on people there? afterwards yeah. for making the wrong decisions. Yeah, I mean, that just I guess it just depends on who you play it with. Uh, we kind of well, just say, yeah. oh well, you know, it, it's we were close. It sucks. Like there have been actually surprisingly, uh, my wife has gotten mad at me for screwing up when we're like one card away from, from winning or whatever. And it's like, well, I didn't know what you had. Like I tried to guess, but I'm not counting cards. Um, but but it's, you know, it's in jest and I have not experienced, uh, I've only played it with two different groups, I believe maybe three. 
uh, and I've not experienced anybody getting really upset at somebody for messing it up. We just steal another handout and try again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and that's what you always hope with with any group. But I think that's why, personally, for me, it's it's not yeah. higher up mm-hmm. on my list because I've had it happen enough times that I know it's it's been an issue that with all these other games i haven't had that issue so <laughs> so choose your crew wisely is what we're saying <laughs> all right i'm done <laughs> <laughs> i'm out that's too many patrick <laughs> hopefully uh everybody listening if anybody's listening you enjoyed our top 10 and our discussion about cauldron 15 or as we're going to rename it cauldron x and um cauldron x if you uh if you enjoy the show and you uh, want to support us financially, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash trick talkers. We appreciate any support you can give. If uh, your support is just listening, giving us a, you know, a review on wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate that as well. And if you want to reach out to us, any comments, questions, et cetera, about the show, you can find us on Twitter at trick talkers or by email at tricktalkers at gmail.com and while we had a great time discussing our top tens here we'd love to hear what your top 10 trick taking climbing or shedders are uh, if you want to send us a, a tweet or an email uh, we'd love to hear them just don't ask how you can get a copy of pups because uh johnny's got dibs on it first <laughs> well, right? i don't know if i have dibs on anything but i would certainly be happy to find a copy so um <laughs> don't uh I'm not going to tell you all the avenues I've gone to uh, to try to find one because I don't want somebody else to get lucky copying my lead <laughs> and then finding it. Right time, right place sort of we'll scenario. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, again, hope you enjoyed the episode. We uh, really look forward to hearing your top tens and we will see you in two weeks with another episode. Good night, everyone. Thanks for Bye. listening.